0: And welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder and just if the players are kind of joining on to this tank philosophy we've seen all year, if a losing culture can kind of exist with their current core, and then I'm also going to be talking about the upcoming game pinning the Thunder up against the Philadelphia 76ers. But just starting it out with the Thunder and if the players are kind of hopping onto the tank mindset that fans have had for really the entirety of the season, but now it's in full swing since they've lost 13 in a row. But I'm just going to be talking about kind of, you know, their kind of line and if a culture where losing games is kind of cool with everybody. And this kind of has been risen up based on an interview we actually got from Saturday's game. Or scratch that, Friday's game. I forgot we got a two-game break. We didn't even play on the weekend. But on Friday, Teo Maladone, he had a little bit of a comment on kind of the art of tanking. And I would just kind of put that right here. Um, we're obviously going through tough times right now. But feel like uh, it' going to help us uh, for the future. So a little bit of a misquote by me, not going to lie, but you kind of get the foundation on what Teo Maladon was saying. And it really just rides the line of how, you know, losing games, obviously in the now is not going to help. But as he stated, he said, I feel like it's going to help us for the future. That's something that I think everybody kind of knows. And now the players are kind of getting to that point. I think everyone in the league knows, like that's just simply how it works. You know, all these teams in the past who are tanking or kind of on the fringe, they kind of understand how the draft lottery works. They've been in the system. They literally, at least most of them were drafted and a lot of them were in the lottery. So they kind of know the ins and outs of things. So for them to kind of come to realization of that is kind of, I guess, interesting in the fact that Maladone says, you know, he kind of has that perspective of you know, us losing games right now might suck, but it's going to help us later, it does kind of raise the question of, you know, can all of our players kind of just come to that agreement where, you know, losing games is not that bad after all? And almost just that tanking mindset, which was almost, you know, was trying to be just squashed by the NBA whenever we saw Sam Hinkie in the 76ers. Were the players trying to lose? Absolutely not, but, I mean, Sam Hinkie was playing guys like, i don't know james anderson and daniel orton minutes so yeah it wasn't like they had a a full plethora of guys to get w's anyway. so they were in a hard spot and that's why they were losing but yeah i mean the league clearly doesn't want tanking and they try to make sure players don't feel that way management's one thing you can stop that but if the players get in that zone of you know let's try to intentionally lose games that's gonna be an issue and i don't think tayo's saying that like obviously he wants to win games he wants to compete but End result's not that bad, and maybe the whole organization has kind of just come to that because Al Horford, obviously him playing would have really shored up our center spot moving down the line. We would have collected probably like a couple more Ws had he you know played instead of getting rested for the second half of the season. But I mean, yeah, with him gone, definitely that kind of pushed towards a tanking movement, got our younger guys active, and now SGA with his platter, plantar fasciitis injury, I mean he has been gone for probably more than a month at this point and typically with those injuries it's going to be like three weeks to maybe six weeks and we're kind of approaching the doorstep of like five I believe so we're getting right around to where he should be ready to go but you know with the way the team is kind of going and how we are sneaking into the lottery conversation maybe they don't want to play him and just want to rest him out and make sure he doesn't get any sort of injury same goes with Dort and Bays kind of resting at times too like it's it's been serious that you know losing is not really a bad thing for this team and I kind of just want to discuss like losing culture because it is something that we don't really see that often it's not really ever talked about but it could come important especially for a team like this because you don't want to end up having a situation at the end of the year where everyone's all mad at each other And I don't really think that's going to happen. And I'm kind of going to go into that because I think you got to kind of set the groundworks for what tanking culture is and what like, you know, a bad tank versus a good tank looks like and, you know, how that could kind of either hurt your locker room or just keep it at the same where everyone's kind of content with each other and I have kind of two comparisons from, I guess, the last 10 years. Maybe it expands out. Yeah, I guess last 11. But there's two examples here. That I think go into two different categories, and then I'm going to go into the Thunder and kind of where they slot in between those two, but there's there's kind of a team that comes to mind as like a stuck-in-the-mud team, where they have young pieces, yes, they also have a lot of veterans playing, and pick-wise, you know, they had picks, and obviously it could help them out, but it wasn't like they were just swimming in future assets, it was kind of just a couple young guys, but also a couple up-and-comers who are kind of approaching veteran status, and even those who are in like the twilight years anyways and it's gonna be the new jersey nets in 2009 to 2010 and they went 12 and 70 in this season and there was not a day there was not a lot of daylight for them they did have you know a couple good pieces brooke lopez at the time was only 21 and he was averaging a team high 18.8 points and 8.6 rebounds back then that's pretty good i mean now you got guys like Norman Powell dropping 20 points all the time. Not how it worked back then, so pretty good averages from him. But then behind him, you had Devin Harris, who he was averaging 16.9 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 6.6 assists. And So he was good. But the problem is he's 26 years old already, so he's already a veteran. He wants to be kind of leading a team, and there wasn't a lot of pieces around him. There was also Courtney Lee who was 24, averaging 12.5 points a game, 3.5 rebounds, shooting all right from three. And then other guys like E. John Leon, who came over, you know, one of their bigger draft picks and kind of flopped. He wasn't terrible, but, you know, nothing to be flaunting about. He came in, he was averaging 12 points, 7.2 rebounds. And then you go into, like, Skip to my Lou, right for Austin. He is 33 in this season where he's averaging just below 10 points. And you kind of get that little spectrum of both young and old guys. Like, they had Keon Dooling, who was 29, Bobby Simmons. You had, I mean, players that were sort of playing. They had Chris Quinn, Tony Battee when he was 33 years old. And there was even Trenton Haskell at 30. So that's just kind of naming a few guys. But, you know, it wasn't like a situation where everyone's super young. Like, there were veterans trying to fight for new contracts on this roster to go along with some of your young pieces and brooke lopez at 21 was their youngest player and it was a little bit different you didn't see guys kind of just going for one season of college and just going immediately over taking a jump but i mean 21 still that's sort of kind of old or yeah kind of old for your youngest player on a roster and then outside of them you got yee at 22 years old and then chris douglas roberts at 23 Sean Williams and Chris Humphreys was 24 to go along with Courtney Lee. So, all these guys, you know, they're kind of already getting up there. Like, they should be advancing in the ranks, and nobody was really moving. So, this is what I would kind of consider dysfunctional. And what you saw from the Brooklyn Nets, or I guess New Jersey Nets at the time, was, you know, in the next coming years, you just saw trades flying off the board where they're going for top of the line prospects. I think they got Derek Favors third. In the draft uh, after this, and then like traded him away. Got Darren Williams, that was a major flop. You got you know that major haul of KG, Paul Pierce, Terry didn't work either. So they just got in a complete destruction mode. This roster you saw here was pretty much gone by the next two seasons, it did not work. The chemistry was clearly just broken. You had vets vying for minutes, and then at the same time, just younger pieces that wanted to give some sort of platform to play but they weren't exactly there yet so it was by all accounts a terrible team dysfunctional you could not have had any sort of losing atmosphere there because you know it's about 50 50 on people wanting to develop and being okay with losses but also the bets who you know they're they don't want to give the young guys all the minutes they need to prove themselves so it didn't work there for them and you know that was kind of that I think that is kind of the prime example of just a team that Just fell into shambles i think the second team i'm gonna talk about they also were really really bad but it's a bit different and you guys probably already know it's gonna be the 76ers at the beginning of their trust the process phase so this is in 2013 2014 when they got michael carter williams pretty much made him the superstar the only main piece on the roster and just surrounded him with by all accounts straight up scrubs and michael carter williams As we found out, I mean, it's not like he's a star. He's barely hanging on to the league right now, but he wasn't that good. I mean, in this rookie year, he was all right, but it's because he was kind of a one-man show there. When we're talking who was on that roster, you got guys like Thad Young, Evan Turner, those two I like, Spencer Hawes, and then there's a drop-off. Tony Roten, who was, I thought, pretty good whenever he was playing for them. But then there's, like, Henry Sims, James Anderson, Darius Morris, Byron Mullins. Like, these guys are are really bad. They would not have been on any other team outside of the Philadelphia 76ers that season. At least I can say that probably James Anderson and below. Even though I'm an Oklahoma State fan, like, James Anderson, he was not all that in the pros, neither with the Kings or the 76ers. Just kind of awash, and that's just how it works looking down the line of all these different players they had on the roster they played a total of 23 different guys in that year and i think all of them yeah all of them were under 30 years old the oldest guy might have actually been eric maynor it was he was 26 and he was only able to play eight games for them so everyone was pretty much under 25. all of them were young this was when sam hinkey was trying to find players to build upon into the future and there weren't a ton of hits in this season kind of as I discussed I think Michael Carter Williams was the the show. I mean he was the diamond in the rough for them because he was averaging 16.7 points, 6.2 rebounds, 6.3 assists and you know almost two steals a game. Easily got rookie of the year in uh in his campaign but yeah, I mean when you're talking super young guys that was about it. Thad Young and Evan Turner at 25, they were both really solid. Like Thad Young was averaging 18 points Evan Turner was averaging just a little bit over over 17 but nothing too out of the ordinary like there was just not a lot of strong key players and they didn't find anybody now it was kind of more after this season where they started to get all their hits they got all the major picks and no New Orleans Noel, Noel um, Jalil Okafor just to name a few and then even outside of that players like Jeremy Grant and TJ McConnell and I think I think that kinda headlines them. You know, there are a couple other scraps as well. I thought KJ McDaniels was like kind of a nice piece for like a year for them and then he kinda moved on. But there were just adequate pieces that they found. But it didn't come from this season and, you know, it's kind of just a flaw for them. So only were able to go nineteen and sixty three. A lot better than the Brooklyn Nets, surprisingly. But yeah, I mean there are just so many different young guys. It's clear that all of them kinda wanted their shot and as I said, there were 23 different guys on the roster. I would say there were probably, out of those 23, about 16 to 17 guys who didn't have a secure roster spot anywhere else on the league. I think Young, Turner, MCW, Hawes, Roten, and, you know, maybe like Tony Roten and Henry Sims, they might have been good. But outside of that, there was just not a lot of love for these players. So, yeah, I mean, they had to fight and some of them, They just completely washed out of the league. We saw them really suiting up for the last time as a 76er. I think that's the case with um, Eric Maynard, for example. Others like Dwayne Dedman moved on, but everyone was fighting, and you know it's clear that they really weren't on the same page. Everyone wanted to be the star of the show to try to tell teams, hey, I'm on a really bad team, but I can actually play pretty good basketball. So I didn't think they did that well. Um, it got them to their end goal, it took them three years to get where they really are now with all the assets they acquired, but to begin with, I think it was a little bit rocky, but with the Thunder, it's not really like that at all, and that's kind of where I go back to how they fit, and it's, it was kind of a bad question to begin with because I think it's kind of a trick question. They don't fall in line with either that like extreme heavy tanking squad in that 76ers team or the New Jersey Nets team where they are just stuck in the middle of nowhere and everyone's kind of fighting. That's not how that works with our current roster and it's because of just the amount of diversity that is currently on the team right now. You were talking young star chips and someone like SGA Lou Dort on the up and up, Darius Baisley, two really prominent rookies in Teo Maladone and Alexei Pokashewski. That's already five guys that you could seriously just build around, leading off into the future. But then you still have other young guys who have made some sort of footprint. I'm talking Moses Brown, Tony Bradley, Isaiah Romy Ty Jerome, Shvi Luke. List kind of goes on and on from there. But, I mean, that's about, like, five core guys when you're talking SGA, Dort Bays, and Teo and Poku that you think you can build alongside. And then you kind of get those other, you know, under 24-year-olds who you can mold around in the Moses Browns, the Bradleys, the, you know, Roby, Jeromes, and Mikhailuks. That's even, that's nine right off the bat. And then there's even someone like uh, Kendrick Williams, who, yeah, he's 26 years old, but that's still kind of relatively young, and we have him on a super savvy contract for the next two seasons beyond this point, so he's locked up for two mil a year, we can keep him around, so that's 10 guys, and even someone like a Gabriel Deck, who we just inked to a contract, and he's on another deal where we can have him for the next four years, Really cheap if he's playing at that level or better. But yeah, he's also 26 and he's showing a lot of glimpses. And he did that, you know, in the Euro League and even when he was playing in the LMB in Argentina. So you get that group and they're all very, very young. The oldest guy I listed there was Kenrich Williams at 26, and Deck right below him, like two months, you know, or I guess two months younger. Yeah. And then outside, you kind of get that drop where you go to the 24, 23, 22 range. All of them have a ton of potential. And the main reason why I think it doesn't hurt on you know our culture and kind of the chemistry, despite us losing, is we have all these young players and nobody's really fighting for much minutes. The biggest kind of minute battle we saw started in the beginning of the year where you had everyone in the rotation playing. Where all 15 guys had time on the floor. Mike Muscala was playing, Al Horford was playing, SGA, he was playing a good amount of minutes. And it led to guys like Kendrick Williams, Isaiah Roby not having automatic minutes, and also guys like Justin Jackson on the outside looking in. We've kind of gotten rid of that in the moves that we've made, all the different trades we made at the deadline, and even the one in trading Hamadou Diallo for Sveen Mikhailuk because it has opened things up. Diallo, pretty clear he's like a two guard. Maybe you can put him at the one, but he's not very versatile. Sveen Mikhailuk is a two or three at six foot seven. So you get that out of the way. You add him into what is already a a bubbling culture. And then you make the moves where you are kind of dishing players out. You get Myers Leonard really for nothing. Give up Trevor Reza. Get Leonard in a second round pick. And then you also do moves where you move out George Hill, you get a guy in Tony Bradley who you can kind of work with down the line. And even beyond that, I mean, there's other moves you can kind of pinpoint as well. But the main things were the signings and then the releasings we made. So we got Leonard, cut him off. We got Austin Rivers, cut him off. Justin Jackson, we knew he wasn't part of the future, cut him off. Same in that, you know, Hamadou Diallo breed, didn't see a future, just leave them. So all these guys that were just hanging around taking some sort of minutes, we didn't want them. We knew that in the future they were gone. So Sam Presti just made the call that let's move on and get other assets. So what do we get? We got guys like uh like a Bradley and Luke. But yeah, they've looked spectacular. All of them are playing and there really has not been any sort of issues in terms of seeing them play. The biggest problems we've seen have been, you know, guys as of late like Jalen Horde, who has looked really impressive. He's only 22, or he might even be younger than that. He's either 22 or 21, but he's super duper young and six foot eight point forward. He's been amazing attacking around the basket, has done like spin layups, done up and unders, just anything he needs. And he's been getting to the foul line as well. He's like very efficient as a rebounder, too. And we just haven't given him time because we've got Poku back, we've got Basley back. But he's not on that 15 man unit. So he's on the outside looking in. And, you know, I guess maybe Jerome, or why would I say Jerome, Justin Robinson, and I guess now Charlie Brown Jr. might face a similar problem. But all the guys that we, from day one, have wanted to evaluate are getting minutes. And the reason that that works is the guys like SGA, Al Horford, and Mike Muscala. They are not playing, and they are content with that. They want to see the players grow. You've seen on the sidelines, when one cool play happens, everyone on the bench is erupting. Even on court, you see guys getting happy for each other. So there's just a whole culmination, really, of positive energy and everyone wanting to see each other succeed, that win or loss, there's still good moments, and because everybody is so, so young, it's okay to have these mistakes, and you don't want to be losing games, obviously, but that's not really a problem. I don't think people are walking out in the locker room voicing off to coach Dagnall. They want more minutes. And if that's the case, they're not going to be there. I think maybe, you know, Justin Jackson got to a point like that where he was like, play me or get me off to a playoff team. And they said, you know what, we'll get you to a playoff team. We'll get you to a better situation. And that's what I love. Like all these guys are getting the time and there's not really much room for complaining all around. So I don't see it as either of the two. I think that a losing culture really is not even what we have here. It's more or less like just a super young culture who, yeah, they've been making mistakes. They've been losing games. But even through that, I don't think any sort of culture has been diminished. And it's because the vets, they want to see kind of growth. And with growth, there's going to be a little bit of spurts and there's going to be some low points. You just work through it right now. We're an extreme low point losing 13 in a row. But that just means, you know, we're going to be up and up and heading into next year. As Teo Maladone said, it might just be a good thing that they're losing because they're going to have, you know, potentially one or two top five picks or top 10 picks that they can work with moving on to the lottery. And that's not even me mentioning the Timberwolves second round pick we're likely getting and the other second round picks we have. And the 34 we have moving on into 2027. So a lot of room and as it currently stands... I don't think there's any sort of tension between guys so win or loss I think everybody is pretty happy and to say they're joining the tank I wouldn't call it that but they are definitely on board for having mistakes and I think that's just how the team has been acting all season long so we'll see what happens whenever guys like deck and SGA potentially come back in but as it is now I think everybody's pretty happy and that's just how it's going to stay And I think they're going to be happy, you know, moving on into the game they're going to be playing tonight. And that's going to be going up against the Philadelphia 76ers. Game is going to start at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So a little bit of an earlier start. We've kind of gotten lucky with some 7 p.m. breaks, but we're heading back onto the East Coast. Going to be doing a back-to-back set starting in Philly and then heading over to Boston tomorrow. That probably also should be a 6 p.m. game. Have not checked, though, so don't bank on it. But Yeah, I mean, they're an hour ahead. You got to start it at 6 p.m. to keep them content. And, you know, this isn't ideal for us, but it is what it is. You kind of work with the start time anyways. So this is going to be another one of these games where it will have implications for us. We continue to lose. We enhance our lottery odds for the 76ers. They win. They want to stay on the top of the Eastern Conference right now. So mutually, I think a Philadelphia 76ers win would be pretty beneficial for both sides, because OKC, they're 20 and 40 moving into the game, while Philadelphia, they are 39 and 21. So they want to get up to 40 wins, and we want to go to 41 losses. But, anyways, just talking about kind of what we are going to see from this game, there's a lot more question marks than usual. And it's because the injury lineup is just riddled with questionables or, you know, just uncertainty there's not a lot of outs, and for the guys that are out, it's more or less insignificant, especially on the Philadelphia 76ers side, but they have a lot of different things they need to sort out, and that could seriously change the impact of this game, but currently what you see from the Thunder is Lou Dort will be out again for an injury, SGA, clearly he's out, Deck, he's in OKC, he's doing his little 7 day quarantine, so he is out, Josh Hall and Muscala, done for. We know Al Horford's gone. So the only real injury is going to be Lou Dort. And even on the outside of that, Josh Hall. But there's also a questionable here, and it's going to be Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley was the Thunder's best player whenever the Thunder faced the Philadelphia 76ers last game. And this was, you know, a straight-up beatdown. They lost by 24 points. And this was when Dort and Baisley came back and, you know, it's kind of iffy from both of them, but Tony Bradley was consistent in his kind of revenge game. Off of the bench, he had 16 points and 14 rebounds going up against the likes of Dwight Howard and even at times Joel Embiid, so he was strong. So him being out might be a lot more significant than it does seem on the surface because he is very good around the basket and that's exactly the kind of guy we need against a Dwight Howard. I think that a matchup like Bradley would be better against him than per se like an Isaiah Roby or a Moses Brown especially when you say they even have Joel Embiid in the game. That's when it gets scary. You definitely would probably pick Tony Bradley out of those three in a matchup. So him being gone hurts obviously Lou Dort does this as well he can be the number one option any given night so that means most of the kind of duties are going to rest in the two rookies in Maladone and Poku while Basley, I mean he's kind of riding the biggest wave of his sophomore season maybe of his career right now and we want to see him still stay at that 20 point threshold been three games in a row why not add it on to four and this might be a good game for that because the Philadelphia 76ers, they could be missing a lot of the stars, and that means a lot of easy possessions for some of our guys. And it's because they have Ben Simmons as questionable for the game, Joel Embiid as questionable for the game, Tobias Harris as questionable, Danny Green, Furkman, Korkmaz, and Paul Reed. None of these guys we know for sure are going to be out. It's just, they could be out. So... How do you kind of work off of that? You don't even know what the scouting report is going to be because they're all day-to-day situations. We could see all of those guys that I named gone, but you could also see, you know, one of Embiid or Simmons playing, the other one not, all of them playing. There's a lot of stuff. It's going to be kind of tricky here. If all of them play, especially Simmons and Embiid, I say this is going to be pretty comfortable for them, especially if Joel Embiid is okay to play because he has torch the thunder ever since his first game suiting up in the NBA you know when you had that like big guy at courtside flipping off Russell Westbrook that game ever since that he's been kind of hitting the ground running against us and that wouldn't change especially when you got Moses Brown who has not looked that good lately I don't think it's much of an issue for him and Dwight Howard even if Embiid's gone I think he's going to be a great starter in the game Simmons though Who's going to kind of back him up? Are you going to play Tyrese Maxey a lot? He was great in, you know, Simmons' absence early on in the year. But now, would you kind of promote him up there? Would it be Shake Milton? He's looked all right as well. So there's two potential guys to fill in. Danny Green, if he's not there. I mean, he played off the bench in the last game. Actually, scratch it. He didn't even play, but... I mean, I guess you still find reserve rolls from some of your other bench pieces, and then just in general. I mean, there's a lot of different holes that they could potentially have, and in a scenario where they don't have Embiid, they don't have Simmons, Danny Green's out for the game, I think the Thunder, I mean, they might have an okay shot, like, even with Tobias Harris being out, too. You're talking about a team that is kind of ran by Seth Curry, Matisse Stiebel, Dwight Howard shake Milton Tyrese Maxey on paper you know that's a pretty evenly coded matchup and I think that could be kind of a tight one if you get the Simmons though if you get Embiid it's going to be in their favor so you need to just watch and I'd say if it's going to be Embiid they're probably going to be set in stone I don't think it would matter I think points in the paint the Thunder potentially could just get hounded there like in the game the last game that was played between the two the 76ers didn't even need to look towards there, but they definitely can just flip the switch if Embiid's all right to go um, because of just his very efficient shooting clip and the fact he got to align a ton in the last one and kind of couple that with Moses Brown's recent troubles. He's going to be getting in the line a lot. So watch out for that. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a hard one to grade. I'm really sorry because typically I got all lined up on what the key matchups are. But I think the key to this one is just the mystery factor. You're not going to know who's suiting up until about an hour leading up to this game. So just keep all options open. I would just say, though, it's probably not going to be a doomsday situation for the Thunder if at least the tanking boat, if, you know, you get one of the three in Simmons, Embiid, or Tobias Harris to play. Ideally, you want it to be Embiid, Simmons, and then, you know, Tobias Harris in that pecking order but just wait and see because you know if they got stars they might be able to just brute force their way through the game but with all of that I think the biggest thing for this game isn't even going to be what is on you know straight up statistic lines it's going to be kind of the future um, impact this could have and it's because the Thunder I mean, if they lose this one, they're going to be tying their franchise record for their longest losing streak. Did it in their inaugural season in Oklahoma City, where you had P.J. Carlissimo, who, you know, he wasn't the greatest coach. Granted, he didn't really have a crazy good roster at the time, but, I mean, they were bad, and that's how they kind of wound up with Russell Westbrook in the next season. But yeah, it was a little bit rough for them on who they were playing. They had a 14-game losing streak, and for us... Yeah, we could tie it. And then when you play the Celtics in the next game, you can even advance that and just set a new record, tack it onto the long list of franchise records, both individual and team wide, that we have made this year. So just look at that in the corner of your eye. You know, it's not going to be a guarantee that we lose if, you know, everyone's gone for them. But if they're not gutted, I would say that this could be another game where the 76ers pull it out. Just watch out, though, because it's not going to be just 100% like maybe some of these other games have been in the past. One note, though, if you see Tony Bradley gone, watch out for Isaiah Roby at the five because, trust me, if we have kind of a deficiency at the spot, Roby's going to be playing like 30 minutes there. So check that out. I'll make sure to talk about Roby as well as everybody from the team in tomorrow's episode where I break down the game and I will also preview The next one, where the Thunder will face the Boston Celtics. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.